are listening to the North Riverside Library Tech Team Podcast. Mike Bradley here, and in a moment, I'll be joined by Empress and Sarah from the Library Tech Team. On this week's episode, Sarah gives us some tech tips to help make moving easier. We also give out some movie recommendations that you can stream using library apps. And we go on a few more Wikipedia deep dives. Please look at the notes in the show description to follow along with all of the fun stuff discussed in this episode. I also want to remind everyone to keep checking the library website, www.northriversidelibrary.org, for the latest information on when the library will reopen. If you have questions for the tech team, please email us at tech at northriversidelibrary.org. You can also call the library at 708-447-0869 and leave a message, and we'll be happy to get someone to call you back. Now, on to the show. Well, then let's jump into it. Um, So you just moved again. What was this? Maybe a week or two ago? Yeah, about two weeks ago now. Two weeks ago. So are you feeling a little bit more settled in? Yeah, definitely. Um, At first, it was really weird. I don't know if you feel the same way whenever you move, because I know you've moved around a lot, Mike. But like going to sleep is is weird because you're in a totally new place. You don't fully feel comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And the noises, you got to get used to the new noises. Yeah, but I found some, I've got some uh, tips and, and tech tricks to help make a new place feel more like home. Excellent. Uh, well, I would like to hear them. All right. So uh, the first two that I'm going to mention, I have to give a shout out to my brother who works for ADT for hooking the family up with this stuff. But it's definitely... Uh, like a real refreshing change from the place we used to live now. So the first one is uh, there's this app called MyQ Garage Opener that allows you to open your garage remotely uh, from an app, wherever you are, open or close. And this has come in handy already. We've only had it for like four or five days, but my dad has a really bad habit of leaving the garage open (laughs) when he leaves in the morning. And I was, I was going out to throw the trash the other day, and I just noticed that it was wide open. And thankfully, there was nothing missing from in the garage. There wasn't much in there anyway. But to be able to just, like, let him know and have him close it from the app was super high-tech and awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, and I didn't even know that that was, like, a possibility. And it the app worked with whatever garage opener, like, cis motor, whatever it's called, that uh, the house came with, so... That was pretty cool. So you're taking a little bit of a foray into the whole smart home world with this. Yeah, I I personally have been really skeptical of the smart home stuff, but there are some things that make it kind of worth your while. You know, you have to be cautious with everything, but the MyQ garage opener and the next item on my list, which is um Nest or Yale brand locks, smart locks. Mm-hmm. Oh, total game changer. Um, <laughs> I don't if you have any kind of anxiety about whether or not you lock the door whether you left it open um, worried about someone breaking in you just want to keep track on your door locks uh, being able to lock your door um, or check the status from a smart device absolute game changer 
imagine being if you're an essential worker or if we're uh, grocery store shopping or something, being out of your home and getting that like itching sensation in the back of your head. Like, did I lock the door or did I not lock the door? Uh, <laughs> no need to worry. You can just do it from your app. Also works really well if you forgot your key, which I have done a few times since we moved in. Being able to open it from an app saved me from having to bust a new window open and crawl in. Also, next on my list is um, I highly recommend if you've moved into a new place and you're uh, getting the Wi-Fi situation settled to uh, download and use whatever Wi-Fi service provider you're paying for to download the app that they recommend to monitor the sort of speed, um, connectivity, and uh, the devices connected to your Wi-Fi. I think that this is sort of I've not something I hadn't done before, even though it was accessible to me, but keeping track of like which devices are connected, how strong the signal is and what parts of your house, all that's all available to you in whatever app your service provider recommends. And it is, it's pretty sweet. Nothing's a bigger headache sometimes than having bad internet and uh, <laughs> being able to check that like in specific details and run diagnostics and also uh, have at the palm of your hand sort of um, troubleshoot options and, and answers to your questions will help you settle in and feel more like you're at home than you would if your Wi-Fi was like, oh, you know, especially since we've we've uh, opted for cutting the cable cord this time around. Making sure the Wi-Fi works is like key <laughs> if you're if you're not uh, consuming traditional cable. That's a really good point. I have not even thought to do that. And I'm kind of surprised because now that you mention it, that seems like a really obvious thing to do. But instead, I always am like, if, if it seems like the Internet's not working, I immediately like go to my phone and pull up the, you know, the mobile, the mobile website for, you know, Xfinity to look and see if there's an outage in the area <laughs> and have to do all this signing in and trying to find the right page for the troubleshooting. And it's like, I never even thought to look. I bet they have an app for this. They totally do. We have Xfinity here, and they have a great app that allows you to check service in all the bedrooms, uh, rooms in your, your place, and also lets you reboot the Wi-Fi remotely so you don't have to, like, even leave the couch to start the Wi-Fi up again. I've been missing out. Yeah, you definitely have. <laughs> and the final the final item on my, my Mount Rushmore of, things to do after moving into a new place, techie things, is I personally don't feel at home unless the vibe is right. And the best way I've found, and <laughs> it's something I swear by now, I, I've been preaching, uh, singing praises of, of this item since I got it, is uh, Philips Hue smart light bulbs. These light bulbs can go from uh, bright white to pink, to purple, to green, at the touch of a button. It's super cool. Um, they're energy efficient, which is really great. And uh, you can set whatever vibe you want from an app on your phone, or if you're into the whole Alexa, Google Home thing, from a voice command. So you can literally walk into your room and be like, Alexa, pink lights, and your whole room turns into a nightclub. It's great. It's you are truly living the you know 21st century dream over there. You've got the you got the, the smart locks, the smart garage, you got the, the smart lights. 
the uh, managing the Wi-Fi from right from your phone. Um, I feel ashamed that I'm not doing any of this stuff. I agree. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I have not embraced. You know, we actually do this apartment that we moved to now. It has um, smart locks on the doors. So when, you know, when I, instead of using the key, I have to come up and you have to like tap it and this little touch screen appears on the on the front door and you, you type in a, a pin number to get in. And um, that's as far as I've gone. They have an app that you're supposed to download so you can do all, you know, open it remotely or check on it. And you can also use it to manage the um, the thermostat, you know, for the, the air conditioner. And I have not even downloaded the app. <laughs> I just I just go and just touch the things, you know. <laughs> I, I don't... Uh, I haven't doubted my wife does it all the time and she's like, why don't you, why don't you do this? And I'm like, well, cause I can just walk right over here to the wall and, you know, adjust the temperature. And I guess I have, I'm suffering from like a smart home, uh, what do you, skepticism. And I, I don't even use what's available to me. So you're, you're far ahead. Well, I, I found the, the Philips Hue light bulbs on TikTok. So I <laughs> like ran to Amazon and ordered some because I am obsessed with like, the light projectors are people having really cool bedrooms with like cool lights. I think that's so much fun. The rest of the stuff, however, I would probably be in your boat if it weren't for my brother who works with this technology like on a daily basis and sells it. But yeah, I, it's a it's a game changer for sure if you give it a shot. I think uh, it makes your life way more convenient. And a lot of these smart home features are really good in, in energy efficiency, which is good for the environment. So that sold it to me for sure. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like it it sounds to me like it's it's one of those things where once you start using them you'll 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 wonder why it wasn't always that way. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I will check those out. And um uh since I also moved recently uh, back at the end of March, I wanted to just give a couple of shout outs to some things that helped me. I was not nearly as organized uh, with my move, as you sound like you were with yours, you told us last week about how you used Google Docs to like plan out the layout for the movers and all of that, which was which was pretty neat. Uh, I didn't do any of that, and we are still disorganized, and we are still looking for stuff in boxes that haven't been unpacked. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but I will say two things that have helped that have helped us moving during this quarantine is. I'm sure you've all, if you've been ordering things from Amazon, you've noticed like the shipping is very erratic now. Mm-hmm. Um, even for the Amazon Prime, it's no guarantee you're going to get what you order anytime soon. Yeah. Um, one thing that I have really started doing and wondered why I haven't done it before is when I find something that I think that you know we need to get, I find it on Amazon, but then I will go and see if there's a way to order it directly from the company that makes it instead of getting it from Amazon. Oh, that's so smart. And, um, and it's, it, it like, there's, it's, it's amazing how many of these, these companies just will sell them, sell you the stuff right off their website. And uh, in many cases for prices that are the same or even lower than Amazon and they'll get it to you faster. So I've been taking advantage of that in particular I am like a total snob about drinking water. I can't drink regular <laughs> water that has no flavor in it. So I absolutely love this stuff called um, True Lemon, uh, which is, I don't know, kind of a fancy pants Kool-Aid with stevia. And it's it's a little bit hard to get right now because, well, I don't want to go grocery shopping more than I have to. And um, 
um, when you would get it on Amazon, you would always have to get it from like the third party sellers. And I felt like the prices were high and it was taking a long time to get here. And then I was like, why don't I just get it from the company? I just went to the True Lemon site and you can get, and they have deals and they're sending me promo codes. It's like, I've been buying stuff off Amazon for so long that I've kind of forgot that there are other options for, for buying stuff. So my tip is so just to yeah, just look beyond Amazon. Go see if you can get it from the source. Probably also helps uh, support those companies since they don't have to give you know a cut of their 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 proceeds to to Amazon for doing the transactions. So that has been something that I have discovered or rediscovered. I also want to give a local shout out to the uh, there's a furniture shop in North Riverside called Divine Consign. Are you guys familiar with this? Oh yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's a big, it's a, you know, uh, it's a consignment shop where people resell their, their furniture. It's in a big um, kind of warehouse space over by, um, on Harlem, um, oh, sort of by where the sports authority used to be. And you can still go there by appointment on, I think it's Thursday through Sunday. You can make an appointment to go see what they have. And that's what we did, which was really nice because we got to browse the whole place with only like two other people in there. And um, and they have really good prices for delivery, which if you live around here, I think they only charge you $50 for to deliver as much stuff as you get. Oh, and they'll wow. bring it they'll bring it all the way cool. in and, you know, uh, put it wherever you want it, which is really helpful when you have an apartment here that's kind of difficult to get to. You can't really park anywhere near it and you got to go up, up and down stairs to, to even get to it. So being able to go get some some stuff this this new place has like no storage in it so we had to get some you know dresser things to put clothes in and um you know like a coat rack and stuff like that and they had they had we we went there one day and found a bunch of stuff and they delivered it over very quickly so there's a local business uh, that you can support <laughs> during this time that's awesome and it's always better to buy things secondhand too like this it's just better for the environment mm-hmm and what I like about their their sort of price structure, I don't know how great the prices are, especially to begin with, but but you can tell the longer it stays there, the lower the price gets, and it will actually show that on the price tag. So if you see something you like and it's like, oh, this is you know $150, but next month it's going to be 100 So you can be like, ah, I'll wait and see if it's still here, and I know how much I'll have to pay for it then. So um, that's pretty cool, too. That is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Should we get into some uh, streaming recommendations? Have you been watching some 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 stuff on the library apps? Indeed, indeed. Ooh, very good. Who wants to go first? How about you go first, Empress? We've been babbling a lot. Oh, okay. Um, so what I've seen this past weekend was the Florida Project, and it's a 2017 film produced by uh, the A24 Productions. And they're basically a indie production film company. And they are known for the Midsummer film as well as the infamous Hereditary. So I, you know, since I know them, I was like, okay, let me... Let me see about this. And it's about basically being a child in an adult world. So basically, the uh, children, which are uh, Moni, Scooty, and Dickie, they all live in an inn called the Magic uh, the Magic Kingdom. And it was actually supposed to be like referred to as the, the first inn of 
the area before you know Walt Disney uh well Disney World was there because um the uh, Florida project was the original title for Walt Disney World so that so basically they they coincided with each other but until you know over time it became uh, Disney World. Then after that, you know, they changed, updated, made it modern. And, you know, the Magic Kingdom, it was just more so outdated. And also it held those who were in more so impoverished and also more a lot of children. So those children, Moni, Scooty, and Dickie, they were just out having fun, being rambunctious children as usual. And they... They actually bump into this girl named Jackie while doing something to their grandmother's property. She goes over and stumps at their window, well, at their door, and demands to have the kids clean up her stuff. And while the kids were cleaning up, they were having uh, Jancy, which is the grandmother's, the grandmother's granddaughter, of course, come out and help out. And at first, the grandmother was like, no, don't do that. But her mom was like, well, Moni's mom was like, no, they're just having kids. They're just having fun. In essence, it's like, oh, it's it's like you're seeing children just being kids, you know, and it's so cute to see that happen. Now, later on, the kids start to hang out with each other more often with Jancy. And Jancy, she's not used to being out and about. She's more confined, always with her little sister and her grandmother you know, her grandmother is also very protective. And um, it's like uh, she's starting to see this world and she's starting to become more so open and willing to be a part of a group. And she's, you can tell she's trying to show that she's a part of a group. And like eventually over time, uh, Moni's mom, she loses her job and she's trying to go to Scooty's mom for a job. And that doesn't work out eventually it doesn't and uh, Moni's mom she's trying to let Moni become a kid like she doesn't want her to have the stresses of adulthood she just wants her to have a child life no matter what predicament she's in right now she just wants to have a child like just have her in a just kids my friend and also Bobby which is the incredibly known Willem Dafoe also Green Goblin for the Marvel geeks out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he he's basically like he's the manager of the inn as well as like the caregiver of the children. He helps you know he helps Hallie with her rent because you know she was in ties with jobs. She's also um, he also you know protect kids from other people trying to harm them. And also he was, you know, engaging with the children because he knows that the world is so hard and he does. And kids will be kids. They don't know. You know, they're they're just children and they're not understanding the harsh concepts of, you know, getting older and, you know, becoming of, you know, more like influence and how would you take things and you know he just doesn't want the children to have that type of uh, like those type of um those feelings so so early now later on in the movie the kids do a crazy accident run home don't tell mom don't tell anybody hush don't say anything and like that causes 
Scooty to stay home with her mom, uh, with yes, with his mom, because she doesn't want any association with Moni and other uh, and John C. Then that becomes more so a bond for John C. and Monet, uh, Moni. But later on, uh, mm. Haley and uh, Scooty's mothers began to fight, and when they fought, things start to become just downhill from there. And at the end, I would say that I it was I was very emotional. I don't want to give away like the total ending of it, but like it gives like an emotion of wow, kids don't know the idea of adulthood. And when they actually do, you know, start to see little things and starting to notice little certain signs that adults have and they don't understand. It's like it's just far from their concept. And you're actually seeing from a child's perspective, especially in the predicaments they're in, especially being in like low income or in uh, local income housing as well. So um, I would truly recommend watching the Florida project. It's on Hoopla. I believe you have, when you check it out, it's like a three day uh, rental. So show it if you do want to share it. So Please, I recommend it. You could you can tell you could tell that you really you really like this one, Empress, because you you give such great, very detailed descriptions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I, I could I, tell I, I could tell like how much you you really enjoyed this. Thanks. I mean, I've seen for let me just say a great choice, Empress. Just Chef's kiss. Primo oh. choice. Oh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. Thank you, I Sarah. Not, I have not seen it, and Sarah knows this, but this, the the A24 uh, movie studio is kind of a, a divisive topic for me and Sarah because I'm not generally a fan, and Sarah takes it as like a true mark of quality when that <laughs> A24 you know logo comes up there. Um, and when I see that logo, I'm like, I think I've got into something that's not for me here. <laughs> oh, no. It's pretty good. This one, I would say, you can more so uh, sympathize as well as empathize. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really uh, enjoyable. You mentioned Willem Dafoe. Is it true that in this movie, he is not Willem Dafoe, but he is truly Willem Defriend? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> He was definitely my friend in this one because when I saw him in a, like when I was first introduced to him as the Green Goblin, I hated him. His acting skills were so great, I hated him. So <laughs> I can I kudos to him, especially as you know, his up in age. Kudos to him in this film. It's amazing. He was a great co-star in it. And also the become the little ones, the young stars as well, they're really great. It's very emotional. I, I can't say what type of emotion, but it's very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, he's a favorite in in my household as well, so maybe I can check it out just for that. Um, how about you, Sarah? Do you want to tell us about your pick? All right, so I picked a little film called Word Wars, Tiles and Tribulations on the Scrabble Game Circuit, available right now on Media On Demand with your library card number. Um, this movie isn't as like well produced as Empress's pick. <laughs> it's definitely like a real, real indie project, but it has 
all the like highs and lows that you would expect from a sports documentary, except it's about like nerds playing Scrabble, which is close to my heart. Um, it's a, it's a good time. I mean, you, you've got your, you follow basically a group of professional Scrabble players on the Scrabble game circuit as they compete uh, for a championship. Um, there is an underdog to root for and uh, who knew that Scrabble could be such a competitive game, but the way that these professionals play it, it's like real high stakes for them. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a fun thing to watch, especially during these quarantine days uh, where there's not much else to, to, to do. It, it's fun. Highly recommend. All right. That sounds, you know, right. I can say that definitely is in my wheelhouse. When you have like an obscure like documentary about a, a very, very niche subculture. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm all over those. I have not heard of this. Um, you know, I usually don't think of media on demand for um, streaming movies. So that's cool that you, you found something over there. They've got a bigger library than you would think, honestly. They don't really push it, but uh, they've got some good, like, low-key documentaries on there, some great animation. This movie is totally up your alley, Mike. 100%. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I, uh, so so my, my recommendation, and um, I, this, I have to qualify this statement heavily because I'm really, I'm making a recommendation, but... I'm doing so as an opportunity to go on a bit of a rant against uh, some other stuff that I don't like. Um, my pick is the Halloween sequel, Halloween H2O, 20 Years Later, which is available on Hoopla. Um, and before I talk about this film, I have to say a few things about the more recent Halloween uh, reboot, which came out in 2018. Uh, which was simply called Halloween, which you all might have seen, um, which, uh, <laughs> which, uh, which was which was kind of a big deal that they um, that they were making a new Halloween uh, that was going to pretend itself to be a direct sequel to um, the original Halloween movie from 1978. It was going to uh, essentially do away with all of the other movies and just be a direct sequel to Halloween Part One. And what bothers me about that is that they seem to forget that the exact thing that they were doing was basically already done in this movie that I'm talking about here. Back in 1998, they also made a Halloween sequel that wiped out um, all the sequels before it. In this case, they, they made Halloween H2O, which is a terrible name, I know. But it was a, um, <laughs> I think they just did it because they thought it was cool to say H2O because that's water, which makes sense for no reason. <laughs> um, but they made that a direct sequel to Halloween Part 2. If you recall, Halloween 1 and 2 um, take place concurrently, like as, a, as in a single evening. Um, and then the other sequels go off in like a wildly different direction. So um, back in 98, they were like, let's clean this up. This will be a direct sequel part two. We get Jamie Lee Curtis back and we will end this series in the in a proper way. Right. And so that's that's essentially what they did. This is not a bad movie. If if you are a fan of, you know, late 90s horror films and it does a pretty good job of cleaning up the Halloween series. Um, they brought Jamie Lee Curtis back. 
you know, they dealt with her like sort of trauma of being affected by the experiences of the early Halloween movies. And I don't get why in 2018 they're like, hey, let's uh, let's basically do that exact same thing. You know, I, I'm just not a fan of the whole reboot culture that we live in now. Um, yeah. You've probably heard me rant about this many times, but, you know, back in my day, we, d- we didn't do this. You know, <laughs> you made a movie <laughs> and then that was the end of it. There's, I mean, to be honest, there's really no reason for any of those Halloween sequels to exist. The first movie is a perfect, a perfect movie that didn't need any, any follow-up whatsoever. But is given that... the third one? I thought your favorite well, was... <laughs> my favorite, I wouldn't say my favorite, but I do enjoy the third one a great deal. And the third one has nothing to do with any of the other movies. Um, it, it has a completely different uh, plot. It, it it's it has Halloween in the title, but otherwise it's just it's literally not related. Um, and I think it's a fun it's a fun movie, and the people give it um, a lot of undeserved. Uh, you know, pe- people don't like it, but I, I like that one. But no, but I mean, you know, the first Halloween was a perfect movie. You know, for a long time, it, it invented the the whole slasher genre. It was the most successful independent film for many years. Um, and if you go back and rewatch it, and the first one is also available on Hoopla, so shout out Halloween 1978. It's just a perfect film. And they've made now, like, I don't know how many, 10, 11, 12 Halloween movies by this point. You really don't need any of them, but you certainly didn't need that one from 2018 because it was no great shakes, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> and I don't have anything against, you know, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, who you know, thought that they were going to do something really cool with this, this, this new Halloween, but it wasn't all that great. This movie already did almost all of the same stuff before. And, um, you know, let's just, let's not forget about this. We did this folks. We did this 20 years ago. Anyway, I've, I, I don't know if I made any sense for that rant, but Halloween H2O is not bad. Let's not forget it. You know, it's a good time capsule for the, uh, for the late nineties. Uh, you get a lot of Josh Hart in it. Remember when he was a big thing? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get one of the early on-screen roles of LL Cool J's acting career. Um, you get uh, 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 early Michelle Williams. Wow. It's, uh, wow. <laughs> yes. You know, this is a mistake that I think that, that this movie that I'm talking about, plus the one from 2018, both of them make this mistake where the um, the movie is supposed to be about Jamie Lee Curtis, the original character from the first movie, and it's like trying to resolve her story. Um, but for some reason, both of these movies, the one from the 90s and the one from two years ago, both feel the need to shoehorn in a group of teenagers and follow them around as well. And it, and I don't know why they're doing that, just because like what horror movies usually have teenagers in them, so we have to make that part of the part of this movie even though it's not really relevant and we we should be focusing on this other thing what i'm trying to say basically is halloween h2o is not bad and the one from 2018 was unnecessary and irrelevant end of my rant (laughs) check it out on hoopla and the original (sighs) thank you guys for putting up with that no no problem We got some good, we got some good stuff in the Wikipedia Club this week. Oh yeah, we do. No worries, we do. 
<laughs> I'm I'm so glad that you guys are indulging the Wikipedia Club segment. Um, it is my favorite segment. <laughs> just it's um, so much. It, it isn't it though. I just I I can't get enough the free encyclopedia. It's so good. <laughs> we'll stick with the same order. You go first, Empress. Okay, that's cool. Um, so. I was browsing around and um, I was at the store and I saw Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, just like a little novelty uh, trinket store. Um, and I was wondering, like Oswald the Rabbit, I've seen this character before, but like, like I and also I've seen it in, like little clip, like short films, but I never really paid attention to it. So I did some digging on Wikipedia. So, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was created by Walt Disney, and he created a basically a total between uh, 26 and 27 short films, and it was produced by the Walt Disney Studios, as well as um, his brother Roy Disney in Oob Earths. So, this was the first actual... Great name, um, by the way. That's a great name. <laughs> I know. It's really a wild name. These names in here are really funky. So <laughs> it, it, it fits it, it fits the story, especially Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Come on. His personality fits everything. Like, he was, speaking of personality, he was the first actual character, character Dizzy created with a sort of personality. So he actually studied the styles of Charlie Chaplin. And those styles were create the excuse me. Those styles were more creative, and also the, um, he paid attention to the gag work. He wasn't piling gag on top of gag on top of gag. He more so made the jokes more so humorous because at first, when well, excuse me, when um, Oswald the Rabbit was first launched, he was grumpy, old, and like just very very bad and um he he, uh when he gave it to the uh mints uh the uh, producer he's like no scratch this this is horrible this was his actual first film so disney is like oh my gosh this is terrible i'll put my whole life into this okay let me start from scratch again and um he made him more youthful more creative, more playful. And also, like I said before, he studied the Charlie Chaplin styles and um, you know, used shadow effects. This is when he actually paid more attention to shadow effects and how it can be to his advantage. And also to make sure that those short films give some type of emotion, regardless if it's funny, upsetting, you know, quirky, you feel some type of way while watching these short films. And um, he also was inspired by Douglas Fairbanks, which was a famous actor at the time. And he was play- he played in The uh, Three Musketeers. And I saw that with my mom. I was like, oh, wow, what a classic. Um, uh, also, I've seen that... Uh, there was a contract that was made between uh, the Disney Studios and Mints and uh, Universal Studios. And it was um, going to become, 
expired. And he was soon to think like, okay, it's time for me to renew this. Let me go ahead and actually stand my ground and see what type of um, deals we can cut. So they first offered him a 20% total cut from uh, these productions, as well as he heard that his own brother-in-law went to um, destroy, well, not destroy, but went to his own production company, tried to hire some people, as well as trying to take some of the film of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit as well. So I was like, wow, that's kind of dirty. Um, Also, (laughs) (laughs) like, what type of brother is he? Uh, And two, he wanted to sell it to Fox and MGM. But Disney, he actually took up his pride, was like, you know what, forget it. Let me just walk away from it. And whatever, let it be, will be. And on his ride home, he started to kind of have the idea, like, look, whatever I create and whatever I animate that's mine, I'm putting all my rights to it. And I'm going to take this style and revamp it. So that's when Mickey Mouse came. So it's like, if it wasn't for Oswald, you know, and that type of inspiration, Mickey Mouse wouldn't be here. So, but nevertheless, when he left, Lance took over and created over 150 shorts. And also he went to Disney's help at times. Also, he wanted his blessing because he knew that this was his creation. This was his baby. I don't want to disrespect you. And um, he also tweaked, like, over time, the Oswald character was tweaked, made him more youth, um, made him more young, gave him more gloves, shoes. Then it became more realistic. Then right after that, um, the CEO of Universal Studios in 2009, he promise Disney's daughter look Oswald will be returned back to you so around that time he gave like all the right like all the 27 films that were created by Disney gave it right back to him and that's the only character that Universal Studios and Disney actually share together so that was a pretty dope uh that was a pretty dope fact (laughs) and the link the that I had to search well I went down and went into the reference link, and it was basically saying how Oswald had contempt for uh, his oh, well half brother Mickey because it's like if it wasn't for you, if if it it, it was you who stole my popularity, it, I was here first type of thing. So that was pretty cute. I, I it was a cute story to read about kind of like the brothers of Disney and Universal Studios. So it was cute. Yeah, this was, um, you know, I had heard of this Oswald the Lucky Rabbit before from basically from watching football, because um, if you follow uh, the NFL and you watch a lot of um, Monday Night Football and Sunday Night Football, this would get referenced a lot. This character would get referenced a lot. And I didn't know what the heck any, anybody was talking about, but but they mention it here in the in the Wikipedia article about um, the about Al Michaels, the um uh, the sports announcer Al Michaels, how he got traded. He basically got traded from ESPN, um, which is part of ABC, which is uh, um, part of Disney. Um, mm-hmm. Got traded, got traded from ESPN to NBC um, back in the early 2000s, 
they traded this sports announcer, Al Michaels, <laughs> for the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Wow. And when you watch, when you watch, uh, when you would watch football games sometimes, you would hear Al Michaels talk about this. Like, hey, I remember when they traded me for Oswald the Rabbit? And I, was, <laughs> I, I thought they were sort of joking. Like, I didn't know all this time. I never knew what they were talking about. And then I find out now that, yeah, that was a real deal that actually happened. Wow, that's and, crazy. Um, it's pretty amazing. And, and I, 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 was, I was also found it really interesting why that they wanted to put Oswald the rabbit into this totally unrelated deal. And they talk about how it was because they were going to be making um, uh, a video game, right? Yes, the epic. Uh, they were gonna make a they were gonna make a video game around this character. Um, this was in the early 2000s, so they had to pull off this deal to get the rights transferred. And it made me think, um, animation is 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 such a strange, um, you know, industry in which people would even think to to pull out a character from such an earlier time. Um, because the Oswald characters' movies were what back in the as far back as the twenties, right? Yes, nineteen twenty-seven. Twenties, and then in yeah. the two thousands, they're going to make a video game around this character from the twenties. Um, that's amazing. I don't think that happens in like any other field, you know, mm-hmm. that 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 anyone would even know or think to do that. But I guess animation has always had like this long history and like a respect for its its history absolutely it's like he's so old he's new you know (laughs) or like it's like that one car you keep in the garage that nice old two like 1980 uh oldsmobile coupe you keep that in the car but on sunday on a nice july sunday you whip her out it's just parents making new to you. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess also, or maybe it's just, you know, that animation has like a, a, a sort of timelessness that other, you know, forms of entertainment don't have, right? Like like how when I was a kid, think about like, you know, in the 80s and I'm watching, you know, Looney Tunes. Um, I, don't, I don't even have any idea at the time that what I'm seeing is stuff that could be from the 40s or 50s, right? I I thought they were still making those new cartoons for me then. <laughs> and and people now probably still watch those even though they're just as old now as Oswald the Rabbit was back in 2000 or whatever. So that's um that's always been you know kind of an interesting thing to me. I'm glad you took interest. <laughs> I, I was hoping. I was like, oh no, this is the animation. Oh no. No, that actually that, that cleared up a mystery that I had just vaguely heard about over the years. <laughs> so uh, thanks for that. Absolutely. Um, Wasn't there? There was an episode of The Simpsons about this. Really? Oh, I not like this. Exactly about, but there was an episode of The Simpsons where they meet a hobo who was like actually animated this. Uh, I don't know if it was like a cat or something. Whatever. Irrelevant. But um No, intrigued. <laughs> but <laughs> there, there is enough for the Simpsons that sounds like that. Um anyway, for my pick, um, I'm bringing you guys to the Wikipedia article on Demon Cat, also referred to as DC, which is the name given to the ghost of a cat 
um, said to haunt the government buildings of Washington, D.C. in the United States. Now, this article, I will admit, kind of sucks. Um, I'm not (laughs) pleased with what this article looks like. Um, There's not a lot of explanation. It's not a very long article. And the references are, um, like, point to the 1800s. But if you look, uh, none of them were published uh, before 1989. So I don't know where they're getting this information from. Um, Demon Cat was something that I heard about in, like, a beginning reader kind of book that you get in school, like, in second grade. I have a vague memory of um, reading a story about Demon Cat and how, you know, uh, in the catacombs of the Capitol building, there was this, there's these cats. And one of them still haunts um, the the U.S. Capitol to this day, which I always thought was kind of interesting. Um, it's just like a funny urban legend. And I wanted to look into it more for this Wikipedia club because it's something that always like stuck in the back of my mind. Um, but the, the, the article itself doesn't really go into much detail, I guess, because it's like a made up story. There isn't really, um, any like hard evidence or facts or like, uh, reported history on it. So that's okay. Um, I really wanted Demon Cat to be real, (laughs) but I guess it's not. (laughs) Uh, One, one funny thing that uh, this article does reference is that the, the sort of security guards um, or the people who are on the Capitol Police Force back in the, the, the day were like notoriously unqualified drunks that would <laughs> on patrol. <laughs> and so a lot of the, the tales of uh, Demon Cat and sort of the, the, the sightings reported of him or her were made by these like unreliable drunk security guards. Um, who I think the, the article literally says like a member um, of the police force said that eventually the other guards found out that they could get a day off if they saw the demon cat. So it just became this sort of excuse um, for these like ne'er do well patrolmen. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of I was I was expecting like a lot more um, pomp and circumstance and like a, a great story for for Demon Cat, but apparently no, it's just a it's just a big joke. And he hasn't been cited since the 1940s, so it turns out he's not real. The uh, I, I found a, a, a few things interesting about the, this Demon Cat. I had never heard of this, but this was completely new to me. Um, one was that first that, that they called it demon cat, that they didn't just call it ghost cat or something, you know, that sounds a little nicer. They just went straight to demon cat, which is yep. pretty hardcore. Very. Um, <laughs> um, but it's that's funny that you say that uh, you you read about this in one of those beginning reader type type books, because that's what I thought of when I read this is like, this sounds like something I would have read about in those uh, sort of story collections that you would that you see as a kid sometimes I remember back in my day there was a lot of like oh here's a here's a a book about all these people who disappeared um you know mysteriously and were never found and they have a name like you know vanished or you know something like that would be the name and it would be just a collection of these stories or 
or like or mysterious places, uh, Bermuda Triangle or whatever. And I would read these these little these little books and you know get just you know terrified by them. And this sounds like um, the kind of thing you would read about in something like that. And one hundred percent, it was. And <laughs> 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 I remember the, I, I mean I don't remember the book exactly, but I remember it was like thrilling. It was like wow, there's this like ghost cat the size of a tiger who's like shows up when when weird things are happening in in Washington. Um, but no, it's all a lie. That's the way it goes with those books too. I can I can't remember what any of them were either. I'd like to go back and try to find them, but there's no way I can't remember you know what the exact titles were or anything. And yeah. you know who knows if those those things were probably just published you know one time and that was it. Mm-hmm. Well, like owned by Scholastic and stuff. I've I've tried to look for some of them actually, um, and you can't really find them because they're not like public domain. It's just owned by Scholastic. You you'd have to get access to their library. Mm-hmm. Was the Scholastic like book fair scene still going when you guys were back in like grade school? Is that still a thing? Oh, oh yes. The, the best day of the year. The days. <laughs> Every child marked that day on their calendar. Every child begged their mom for five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad that's still going on. This is this all right, this is bad radio, but I saw a meme over the weekend um, that 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 was really funny and it was just like it was like a kid who had like a whole bunch of like money coming out of his jacket and stuff. And the caption was just like, you know, rolling into the scholastic book fair, about to come out with <laughs> four Goosebumps books and a Lamborghini poster. Oh, man. Well, th- that was good. Demon Cat was good. My favorite uh, little tidbit in there was about how um, the Demon Cats was the name of one of one of uh, one of the roller derby teams in Washington, D.C., <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great name for a roller derby team. Well, well, it was a, it was amazing. Not only that it was the name of a roller derby team, but it, that they were just one of the four roller derby teams. So that there are at least three other roller derby teams in Washington D.C. I didn't know it was such a ongoing uh, concern, but I guess so. My Wikipedia article for this week is um, the Public Universal Friend which uh, I find to be just a fascinating case. The public universal friend was, um, was a young woman named Jemima Wilkinson who lived during the late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, she was a, um, a Quaker. She's one of the Quakers, but she had a, um, a really bad illness at one point and, and claimed that she actually died and was reborn as a totally different being. And she insisted now that she was only to be known as the public universal friend um, who preached, um, uh, the friend preached their own religion uh, that was similar to the Quaker religion, but not, not exactly. And, um, and the public universal friend identified as a, a, a genderless person. Um, and amassed quite a following back in the uh, the late 1700s um, and actually um, started a, a sort of 
settlement, um, almost like a, a commune type type situation. Um, had a lot of followers for a long time, was influential. Um, what I found, um, well, two things happened when I read this, this, this about this person is one, it just seems so, it seemed like such a thing that would not happen at that time, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it totally seemed like something that I would see happening like now, <laughs> but not happening in 1700s. Um, even just the, the name, just someone calling himself public universal friend. I didn't know anybody would talk like that at that time. Um, and the idea of um, the, the idea of being uh, known as a genderless person or what they would say now is like a non-binary person mm-hmm. um, in the 1700s is that's, that's pretty wild. So in many ways, you could say that the public universal friend was uh, ahead of their time, right? Um, and of course, it looks like all of the publicity um, that was generated by this in the 1700s focused on those details. Um, you know, on the one hand, there were a lot of followers of the public universal friend, but on the other, there was many people who said that this whole thing was a sham, a fraud, um, and just um, wanted to dig into like the salacious details of this this person claiming to have like no gender, right? Um, and contrasting that, so on the one hand, you know, it seems seems really ahead of ahead of its time this whole concept. And then thinking about this in terms of today, it's it's almost like it's hard to not look at this and think about how this would be perceived today. I could almost see if this, if this exact thing happened today, um, you, would, you could probably see a lot of people celebrating this person, saying that you know, they're a, you know, a, a, a pioneer, um, you know, breaking new ground and you know, this sort of social, cultural aspects. But then um, I could also see a very like, you know, present day backlash to a person like this, right? That people might say, oh, well, because of um, this person's status, um, because of their like relative, um, relative wealthiness, that they have like the privilege to take this persona that is not afforded to other people um, of, you know, lesser status and lesser means. Does that make sense? So, oh, that makes- <laughs> so, I'm, looking oh, yeah. at, so I'm, I'm looking at this story and thinking, wow, this is a really amazing, like trailblazing person, like who's like centuries ahead of their time. But at the same time, I can already see the sort of like social media teardown that would happen to this person today. Um, it's really weird. It's like, the 1700s to the 2020s is, is is it still the same, right? So that's why I found this to be a fascinating uh, story. What did you guys think of it? You know, I actually heard of this figure um, in a gender studies class back in the day, so I was really like surprised to see it show up on the Wikipedia club. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of really good points in that there is a an aspect of privilege that's a sort of 
being used here to uh, separate yourself from your gender at that time. But also how um, I always found interesting is how often people who are religious are the first to sort of be skeptical of any um, progressive ideas of gender. But the public universal friend used their religion to justify their genderlessness. Um which I always find an interesting, like that, that's even more progressive and modern thinking than we give ourselves credit for today. Yeah. It's, it's what, to me, I, I found it. um, It seemed to me looking at this from like a very, just um, in the most favorable way, what, what I found most, I guess, impressive um, (laughs) about the public universal friend is it, it sounds like to me, like, like a person who, essentially didn't care for the reality that they were living in and 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 literally managed to sort of construct a new reality around them right which mm-hmm. i i just I, I find that pretty impressive um when i was uh when i was younger and i was big into the uh and big into the heavy metal music you know you kids know about the heavy metal music mm-hmm. um and I was big into it, and I was—I remember—I remember having a very like <laughs> typical teenage conversation about sitting around with my buddies, you know, listening to um, you know Metallica or whatever. And I remember thinking like, "Whoa, you know, what if we like grew up many years ago and we didn't have this music? You know, what would we do?" <laughs> and I remember and I remember I remember I remember this one friend of mine he he just looked really serious he he looked really seriously and he says well I guess guess we'd have to make our own shit <laughs> 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 and um <laughs> in a way that's kind of what I see going on with public universal friend they weren't happy with um the way things were and they Made something new. Yeah, so, yeah that's, anyway, that's, good. that's why I found it interesting. I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed that as well. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. Um, until next time, Sarah. No, no, no let's not do me first. <laughs> like, no <idea>. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so we'll see you all next time. Uh, until until then, Empress. Wear your mask and wash your hands. Very good advice, Is Sarah. Um. Oh my goodness. Well, I can't uh, remember what I usually say. What you usually say? Keep it spicy. Yeah, oh, I keep it spicy. What the hell does that even mean? All right. Cue me up, Mike. Let's get this. I got it. Are right, you ready? Okay, I'm going to come to you first this time. Okay. Well, I guess that's about it for this week. Um, we'll see you all next time. Until then, Sarah. Keep it spicy. Wear a mask and wash your hands. And remember, folks, the action is the juice. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one, Mike. That was a good one.